This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox Podcast. My name is Dan Pavalli, coming at you with my super duper, incredibly esteemed, awesome times awesome, fantabulous, spectaculario, knows now because of Ricky Rubio that advanced analytics are terrible and bad for the game of basketball, co-host Andrew D. Bailey. Before we get started with our biggest question for each Western Conference team for the rest of this season, as well as our three-quarters poll report cards, I just want to remind, implore, beg, plead with everyone to continue rating, reviewing, and subscribing to us on iTunes. We can be found wherever you get your podcasts, but that is still the best way to let us know that you are out there, that you are listening. Um, We listen to a lot of team-centric basketball podcasts, and they are spectacular, but they should not have more ratings than us when we're covering the entire league. So throw us those ratings, five stars only, leave some feedback in the comment section there. Andy and I are always skulking around trying to see what you guys are saying. And yes, we have noticed that the numbers have gone up lately. So again, we really appreciate it. If you have done all that, if you have subscribed, please continue recommending us, shouting us out on Twitter, letting people know that they need more Andrew D. Bailey in their lives. Um, With that out of the way, we get to the most important question of everyone's day that we ask one to three times per week. Andy, (laughs) how are you doing? Doing pretty good. Um, Are you sure after that jazz loss? I was going to say, I'm still recovering from that meltdown by the Utah Jazz last night, but I, I think we're going to talk about them a little bit later in the episode this time. Um, but yeah, other than that, it's it's been all right. That was uh, not a fun fourth quarter. And it was, what was the probability that they were going to lose when you looked it up? <laughs> um, well, I didn't look it up till after the game, but around seven minutes left, uh, in predictable gave them a 97% chance to win. They were up by 10. Ricky Rubio checked in and three minutes later, they were down by one. <laughs> you know what else is crazy? The, so then they eventually they get down by six. Um, and then they scored seven straight and retook the lead with like 30 seconds left. Um, and Snyder put Rubio in again. They took him out. They score seven straight. Then they put him back in. And and the, losing the lead the last time wasn't his fault, um, but it, I just as soon as he checked in, I thought, what's going on? <laughs> I don't know how much more evidence they need, but um, I, we're we're going to end up wasting a bunch of time with me ranting about the Jazz. It was uh, it was just a really interesting finish to that game. Yes, uh, we'll we'll let you get to your rant once we get to them, but we'll start at the top of the not the top, but alphabetically, we'll start at the the top of the Western Conference, and that will bring us to the Dallas Mavericks, whose um, 
vitals at the moment, if my thing would scroll over. There we go. They are 20th in offensive efficiency, 18th in defensive efficiency, 23rd in net rating, 27 and 36 overall. Um, as always, by the way, these vitals are all from cleaning the glass. Uh, just in the interest of getting both of them out of the way, both of us gave them a B. Dallas has not been a spectacular basketball team since the last time we recorded this. They're 7-12 and 12 with a bottom five net rating. That being said, the roster just underwent the overhaul uh, following that Kristaps Porzingis trade, and they're not necessarily trying to win basketball games. We know that they want their pick uh, to convey this year, but if they end up in the top five of the lottery, once you get outside the top three, maybe that's not a great place to be, but their core gets super interesting, I think, if they're moving forward, if they end up sneaking into one of those top five lottery spots. And they're not, you know, they're ahead of the Wizards, the Grizzlies, and the Hawks, but they're not for, forever in front of at least the Wizards and, and the Grizzlies. Um, my question for them is, well, one is just, I think it's low-hanging fruit. Will Kristaps play this season? Will we get that sort of Paul George return where he returns for like three to six games or whatever it is? And I think uh, they moved the time of one of the Mavericks' games near the end of the season, and it's now on national television. I can't remember which one it is exactly at the moment, but a lot of people thought that was foreshadowing that the league might know that Porzingis is playing this year. I don't know if it's that, but maybe it's it's sort of this good hedge against it because I think there's value with him entering restricted free agency of just having some sort of a sample to work off with. I don't think he gets the max, but you need to know how much to offer him over a four or five year deal, or even if he only wants a three or something. My actual question ties into that though. Uh, how much are Dorian Finney-Smith and Maxi Kleba worth to this team? Uh, they're both going to be restricted free agents this summer. Uh, summer. Well, that was a weird accent on that. That was, that was, uh, that was like Boston-ish, right? Maybe yeah. a little bit. Yeah, I am uh, auditioning for the sequel to Google Hunting later today. So I just looking um, for a, you're looking for a job at the Ringer, apparently. <laughs> yes, I'm about to give my pro Celtics take with the Mavericks somehow. <laughs> um, Dorian Finney-Smith, full bird rights. Maxi Kleba, early bird rights. Doesn't really matter. They can match on either of them. Uh, Dorian Finney-Smith is, I think, he's a very good defender just for what he can do positionally, basically across two, three, four. His three ball has been a little bit better this year. Uh, he is shooting 30% from downtown since we last recorded this. Not a great number. Maxi Kleba is just, he's a floor spacing guy who can be a pretty good stationary rim protector. And he can even, he has some mobility in there. My question to throw back at you, since I already ruined your grade for everybody, which one of them do you think is more likely to leave in free agency? Or which one would you rather see the Mavs keep? Is the answer to both those questions the same guy? That's tough. Um, I guess if I had to pick one or the other, uh, Finney Smith seems like he. F I mean, we we talk about this a lot, but guys who are wings, but you know, not really set on one position, are pretty important right now. Uh, Finney Smith obviously fits that mold, but Kleba, <laughs> Kleba's got a pretty modern game too like you said he's a rim protector but he can also hit threes um if you look up and down this roster after the overhaul that you alluded to at the trade deadline there's not a lot of guys after Luka Doncic and Kristaps Porzingis where you think that's definitely a part of the core I, I think the two that are probably most likely are those two that you've identified so if they come out of this summer with both of them um I wouldn't be at all surprised, and it seems like that would be a smart thing to do. 
Um, I think Finney Smith, though, is probably more likely to get that, like, over-the-top offer sheet, right? Just as the, the switchy wing. Yeah, that's probably true. And I think this dawned on us in another episode, but Kleba's actually kind of old. Um, and, and Finney Smith's not – he's not real young by any stretch either. He's in his 20, age 25 season, but Maxi Kleba's in his age 27 season. Um, so so he's already kind of in the middle of his prime. Who, who knows how much more development he has to go. So I think I'd probably agree with you on it's, that. I would like to see that Kleba Porzingis fit just because Dallas plays – you know, Kleba's locked more of his minutes at power forward this year than last year when looking at the fraction of them. So if if they're if they view him as a four, it's kind of just with having both those rim protectors in the front court, not the most modern combo, obviously. I'd be interested to see it though. Which would be another reason why if KP could come back for like the last three games of the season, that'd be great. Yeah. Um I was watching them last night and I just it just kinda of thought I spent a good chunk of the last two seasons um highlighting how much better their bench was than their starters, especially this season. And I think I, uh, <laughs> at least in that case, may have underestimated how much different the level of competition was that the bench was <laughs> Because ever since that overhaul, um, they look like a team that's that's barreling towards a better spot in the lottery. Is that pick they gave to Atlanta top three or top five protected? Top five protected. Okay. Um so yeah, they it's it's in their interest to lose games right now, I would think. Well, unless yeah. I mean if they only unless, like more, like yeah, the so top two guys in the draft. Exactly. Like if if number 4 um in this draft isn't something that they're excited about then yeah, they they would want it to go to Atlanta, but um you did an entire episode on this with Arjun a couple of weeks ago, but just imagine this team with Zion now. I mean, <laughs> Kleba would have to be gone in that regard because I still think he wants Zion as a four. Yeah, I was going to say, talk about an interesting four or five combination, him and Porzingis. Um, I mean, the Grizzlies and the Washington Wizards who are in front of them are technically within reach. I wouldn't put it past Atlanta, who's just a quality team at this point. But I mean, if you move up two spots, it's this season's already done anyway. You're not making the playoffs. So I guess you could just tank and. Increase your odds of getting the number one pick and look at it in those terms. Nine percent chance. Are, they are tanking already. I mean, it, when the last couple of times I've watched them, it's Luca and uh, just about nothing else after him. So unless he's going to win some games single handedly, and I wouldn't put it past him, depending on who they face, um, they're going to they're going to lose a lot from here to the end of the season. I'm with you. Um, does that take us to the Nuggets? It does. All right. The Nuggets are fifth in offense, third in defense, sixth in net rating. They are 42 and 21. I think they're in the middle of a three game losing streak. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Uh, they, they came storming back against the Spurs, but fell a little bit short last night. Now I've lost my spot on the spreadsheet. Um, I gave the Nuggets – I gave him something last night, but now it's deleted. Um, I gave him a B plus. I – you know, they've been really, really good this season. The reason I've kind of docked them uh, this last time around, because I gave him an A plus last time. I gave him an A at the first quarter, uh, pole grades. Um, I'm, I'm starting to get a little bit worried about their defense. In the calendar year of 2018 – that defense was number seven. And in the calendar year of 2019, it's number 18. 
Um, that's that was their weakness for pretty much all of Jokic's career leading up to this season was defense. I don't know if it's trying to integrate Isaiah Thomas into the rotation. I don't know if Nikola Jokic has maybe slid a little bit um, on that end of the floor. For whatever reason, uh, their defense is struggling a little bit. And that's that's something that has been, like I said, it's been a, a bugaboo for them for a few years. So if they want to make some noise in the playoffs, they probably got to get that right again. Um, and we were talking about playoff positioning with the Jazz. I can't remember if it was before or after we started recording. But really, two through um, seven, I, I don't think there are any upsets in there that would be shocking. Like, I, I could see... Um, I could see the Jazz ending up seventh and beating the Nuggets in the first round. That that wouldn't blow my mind. Um, so they're going to have to get that defense right again to be able to uh, really, you know, make a push in the playoffs. I agree with you. I still gave them an A, and you kind of talked me out of just giving them the A plus that I've thrown across the board at them all year. I I think it's still impressive that for the year. It's if you look at it in some, they're close to top ten in defense. When you when you filter out gar- garbage time, they're thirteenth, as you said. That's not a terrible place to be when your offense is so good. And I'm also just with all the injuries they've dealt with, integrating Isaiah Thomas, who has taken like a zillion shots over the past few games and only has two assists. Uh, it, it's still it's still impressive where they're at, and that they were you know this this three game losing streak of the three games that they lost. You know, at San Antonio, that's just a tough game on the schedule. Um, ver- playing the Jazz, they're a quality team. The Pelicans is the one that they shouldn't have lost. That's the game that you don't want to lose. And yet, they did beat the Thunder, and that was basically what we thought was the two-seed bowl at the time. We'll see if OKC can make up the ground. Um, they destroyed the Clippers, who have been on a tear lately. So th- I think it's definitely fair to be concerned about about the the defense overall, maybe how it holds up in the playoffs. And as you pointed out, that those two through seven spots are, you know, there's no sure thing. Whoever they play, uh, I don't think that you can just be, oh, they'll win in five. I don't know. It might happen, but it's not going to be one of those situations. It just, when you look at the totality of their season and and what I think they're capable of and what the defense can be when when Paul Millsap's on the floor with Nikola Jokic, this is just, this is a team that scares me. I think more so than anyone in the West other than the Warriors. The Thunder are vying for my affections in that category still as well, but it's really hard for me when looking at the different levels of adversity that the Nuggets have faced um, for me to dock them too hard for their defense in 2019. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, Maybe I'm just holding him to a little bit higher standard than most people just because my Jokic stand him. but I, I just think there's another level for them to get to. And so, yeah, maybe I'm just being a little bit hard on them. I don't know. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> that brings us to the Golden State Warriors. They are first in offense, 11th in defense, second in net rating, 44 and 19 overall, which is just funny to say because when you consider all the early season drama that they had and how people think Kevin Durant's just gone and they're just, they're 44 19 and atop the Western Conference, then the league's best offense. We both gave them A's. I'm ruining your grade for everybody else. My biggest question for this team is can they survive with DeMarcus Cousins on defense in the middle? And I think we've seen specifically that against certain second units, they can. Um, when he plays without Draymond Green, 
the Warriors' defensive rating is actually only a 101.3, which is fine. The offense is sub-100 points per 100 possessions, though, during that span. But when you just insert him um, along the starters, the defense has been really, really bad this year. Um, I think their offensive rating is 116.5 when he is with the other four starters. And that's just a, like, that's a, that's a scary bad number at this point. Um, yes, I was right. It was 116.5. I don't know why I didn't write it down. And he has a, actually a, a negative net rating um, with the starters, minus one, minus 0.9 points per 100 possessions. Uh, the offensive rating is 115.5. It's it's a lot of things. It's can he get back in transition? It's what are his rotations around the rim going to look like? But I'm wondering what this means for Golden State in the playoffs with what type of role that he is going to play. Is he just not – is he going to be someone in the postseason that closes games? Um, it, it's really tough to say. And it hasn't been something that's necessarily been on, on the up and up. Um, the defensive rating, they've only played in two of the past five games since uh, Golden State's dealing with injuries to – Clay Thompson, but the Warriors starting lineup defensive rating is 127.6 in the, like the past 26 minutes that they played together. So this is a concern that's going to leak into the postseason. It's one that the Warriors can easily overcome, but we talk a lot about DeMarcus Cousins' role and um, how he's going to react to it. The postseason is going to be the biggest test. It doesn't, we haven't really seen any just spurts or fits of emotion when he gets pulled uh, maybe part of that's because he's fouled a ton of people, so he sometimes had no choice to get pulled. And I think there was one instance where he looked unhappy to come out. I'm just wondering if that's going to be exacerbated on the league's biggest stage in, in the postseason. Again, I don't think it's a real hurdle when they're trying to get and win the NBA Finals. I'm just curious to see, not even what it does to the chemistry, just what they do with him and how he reacts to it. Did you, So I posted these numbers a couple days ago. Uh, they might be a little bit different now but golden state's plus 0.8 points per 100 possessions with cousins durant and curry all on the floor that's in the 58th percentile they're plus 16.4 points per 100 when katie and curry are on and and boogie is off which is 98th percentile and then they're minus 2.2 when boogie is on and katie and curry are off 39th percentile um and as soon as they announced that they were signing Andrew Bogut, or as soon as it was reported that they were signing Andrew Bogut, my first thought was, in a vacuum, I don't think many people would say that Bogut is a better player than DeMarcus Cousins, but he might just fit that starting lineup better. And I don't think they will start him over Cousins. That that was just my first thought. Um, it, it, it has been a really interesting experiment, uh, the, the Boogie Cousins era in Golden State I can't imagine it's going to last beyond this season and now I'm starting to wonder it seemed like at the time when he signed such a small contract that it was like let me rehab my value enter free agency again next summer and try to make some money um can you imagine anyone giving him a max this summer no I mean if it's a one-year type deal maybe but no he's not getting the max yeah I, I just can't see that either and like you said I gave the Warriors an A I think every time we do this we we kind of have to nitpick because <laughs> at the end of the at the end of every discussion about the Warriors that's the same takeaway they're still the prohibitive favorites to win the title I think it would be pretty crazy It'd be pretty shocking to see them um, get beat in the Western Conference side of the bracket it would be shocking to see them get beat by Milwaukee or Toronto even though I think those are probably the two best um, challenges 
for them. It, it <laughs> stuff like this is it, again, it's just sort of nitpicking. Now, now Siri thinks I'm talking to her. Siri's always butting in. Uh, yeah, it's I don't. Durant's been shooting thirty point two percent from three since we recorded our halfway point grades and about 31.7% over his last 10 games. And that would, for most teams, we might ask, does that mean? And it just, it doesn't matter. It just, it still feels inevitable and over. He can't get his mind off the Knicks every time he shoots a three. Yeah, well, I, him and Kyrie are going to be very miserable in New York. If they go there <laughs> together, mind you. Was, uh, I think it was Zach Lowe. I can't remember. Uh, I can't remember if it was Zach Lowe's podcast or Bill Simmons, but they were like, when those two are teammates, you think they'll be like, why? You you're just as miserable as I am. What what were we Yeah, it was I think it was Lowe and Jason Concepcion. They were yeah. talking about it on his podcast. It's it's a fair point. I mean, Kyrie Irving is I'm I'm like hesitant to call players moody ever since the whole I'm I'm like I try to be sympathetic or think, you know, what if they actually just deal with a ton of anxiety and this is really weighing on them mentally? And I get that fame has to be exhaustive, but Kyrie and KD just they seem so unhappy. And it's just, there's a level of it where, like, you can't be in this business and complain the way that you are. And then a lot of it just comes off as hypocritical. And we had the long conversation about Kyrie, but he comes out on Monday talking about, I didn't want the, I did want the fame, and now I don't anymore. And it was, like, a little at, less than a year after he released Uncle Drew. I was, yeah, I was going to say the funniest part about that was how many people, like, instantly pointed out the fact that he was an Uncle Drew. <laughs> I don't I I can't imagine anybody was uh holding a gun to his head to make that movie. Um but yeah, it, it, it's it's gotten He's, it's and again, I think they both could have easily made this season easier on them by taking the who have, like the, the the way Clay Thompson, we went through this or the way Kemba Walker's handled free agency this year where essentially he said, "No, I've already talked about it." Yeah. yeah. So it's uh it's just been a really bizarre way to handle everything. Speaking of people wearing cranky pants. We're going to talk about Chris Paul's Rockets. The <laughs> Houston Rockets are third in offense, 25th in defense, 11th in net rating, 38 and 25 overall. Uh, we were in lockstep again, so I'm going to ruin your grade. Both of them, we both gave them B pluses. Uh, Chris Paul has been, before I got to my question, has been just a lot better since coming back. His finishing at the rim is up, shooting a higher percentage on his pull-up threes, and that's going to do a lot for the Rockets, who are just very much tied to the livelihood of, of their offense with the defensive regression that they've encountered this season. Since we last recorded this, and this will my, my, this ties into my question, they're 22nd in defensive rating, which is an improvement overall on the season. I'm wondering if the defense has another level for the playoffs, and my guess is no, but it's the, the team is, it seems like they're compensating uh, for the switchability that they don't have and just the the raw talent that they don't have on the defensive end by trying to force a ton of turnovers. And it's it's just really not working. Um, the Rockets are, since we last recorded this, they're 25th in opponent free throw attempt rate. Uh, they need to grab a defensive rebound. And I know a symptom of that is Clint Capella wasn't rebounding as well to start the year, and then he's out for a ton. So you're playing a little bit smaller, and you don't really have a ton of true fours on this team. Kenneth Reed is weird because they've played him at some four, but you'd probably rather play him at the five, but it's not good defensively when he's at the five. Uh, they're 29th in opponent offensive rebounding rate since we last recorded this. Um, and they're also third to last in rim protection. They're allowing 67.9% shooting at the rim uh, since the halfway mark. And again, a symptom of that is 
uh, Clint Capella's injury. He's back now, but he was out for a good chunk of this. I'm just wondering, you know, they do a fairly good job of not allowing a ton of uncontested three-pointers. You've had good moments from James Harden in the post, and Chris Paul even looks... Uh, there are nights where he looks just incredible defensively, and the metrics still love him on defense overall when you look at ESPN's defensive real plus-minus. Kemba Walker, I forget what day it was, but he torched the Rockets just in the first half of one of the games, and then CP3 just decided to guard him for the rest of the game, basically, and he he really didn't even score in the second half. He took like two shots when Chris Paul was defending him. It was it was just out of control and it reminded you what this team might be capable of. And it gave some credence to the Rockets are still the biggest threat to the Warriors crowd. I don't know if I'm willing to go there. They might have as good a chance as anyone when you just look how tightly packed that two through seven uh, gaggle is in the Western Conference. But are they going to be able to pick it up a notch anywhere? They they certainly need to rebound better um, if they're going to be this first round lock or, or something to get out of that in the playoffs. And I'm want, I, looking at their personnel, maybe Mont Shumpert plays uh, better for them. I just, I don't know if this defense has another gear that, that it can kick into or a switch that it can flip, so to speak. Yeah, this is another team that, like I was saying with the Nuggets, probably does need to find that next gear. Um, if they're going to really make some noise in the playoffs, I, I think there is still an argument that they're probably the best Western conference challenger for the Warriors because we've seen them do it before, even though this team is, it's quite a bit different um, than it was last season. And that's the reason their defense is so much worse than it was last season. Um, but I, I actually thought about giving them a lower grade just because it just kind of felt like on balance, they've been worse than they were last season. But then I thought Clint Capella missed a big chunk of time. Chris Paul missed a big chunk of time. And, and before Chris Paul's injury, he didn't quite look like himself. Uh, since he's come back, he's been a lot better. He's averaging like 17 and nine shooting pretty good percentages. Um, so maybe they're just now starting to find the form, um, that they're going to need going into the playoffs, which would be a good thing. Uh, the, the one thing that it's almost like we've become kind of numb to James Harden at this point, but his, he's now been averaging over 40 points a game since December 8th. Um, almost three months. <laughs> that is objectively games. absurd. Yeah. For his last 38 games, he's averaging 40.5 points, 7.2 assists, 7.1 rebounds, 2.2 steals, 0.9 blocks, um, 11.3 free throws, uh, 5.4 threes. Uh, the numbers are just insane taking 27 shots a game over that stretch. Um, a lot of it was out of necessity while Clint Capella and, and Chris Paul were out. And he's, he's, it feels like he's come down to earth a little bit. Although in his last two games, he scored a total of a hundred points. <laughs> his last three games, he scored 130. Um, so I don't know if it's just the fact that we've been seeing it for three months now. Uh, but this is just an absurd accomplishment. And I say that as someone who's, who probably still has Giannis as my, my – I'm not going to say clear pick, but close to clear pick for MVP. Um, I, I've just – we've never witnessed a scoring outburst quite like this. I think why it's also hard to give them or grade them on, on a tougher curve is just that Gerald Green and Austin Rivers are the sixth and seventh most played players on this team when looking at total minutes. And by the end of the year, 
assuming this hip injury with Kenneth Reed isn't serious, he's going to end up being in the eight or nine area. And that's that, uh, when did they even acquire Austin rivers after he was waived by the Suns, who are a different type of shit show entirely. So he's been, uh, how many appearances has he made for them? Austin rivers is playing 20, uh, in in 30 games for them. Wow. He's been with the, he's been with the Rockets for a minute. doesn't seem like that long ago still to have, to have him, just yeah, or Joe Green as your sixth most played player after your what we would say their five best best players on the team. That that's not the ideal situation to to be in. Another thing to pay attention to them or pay attention to with them um, is Eric Gordon, who who seemed like he couldn't shoot at all for a big chunk of the season, and he's he's kind of perked up lately. Um, his last nine games, he's shooting 37% from three and averaging 17 points. He just had a game in which he scored 32 and hit eight threes. Um, if if they get him back on track, those Chris Paul, Eric Gordon, James Harden lineups could suddenly become pretty dangerous again. Yeah, I'm with you there. Um, we are on to the Los Angeles Clippers, who this season, they are 13th in offense, 19th in defense. 14th in net rating, 37 and 29 overall. Uh, I gave them an A, and so did you. I'm ruining your grade again. Look at this. Uh, we've been in lockstep a lot this podcast. I don't know how you don't give them an A. Just with everything that they've done, uh, just this season, but uh, since we last recorded this, what they did at the trade deadline, they two first-round picks and Landry Shamit for Tobias Harris was a great return. That they were able to turn Avery Bradley into Jermichael Green and Garrett Temple was huge. This is just, they they didn't destroy the Lakers, I guess, on Monday night, even though it, it kind of felt that way. It never really felt like they were going to lose. But they they look like they're just in the playoffs now. And the question for them should really be, can they avoid the eight seed at this point? Because if they don't have to play the Warriors, they're a team that can make some noise. And now you go in to free agency saying, look, we made the playoffs in the West with this core. Uh, we can open up a second max slot if you need. But Neil Gallinari just had one of the healthiest seasons of his career, played career basketball, a fringe all-star and looking at his production. They've just been absolutely absurd. Their defense, just the way Patrick Beverly looks locked in. And not, I'm not even talking about just against the Lakers uh, where he ruined lives, but he he just wow. looks like he is so engaged on that side of the ball. Landry Shamit's given their offense a new dynamic. Um, the Clippers, by the way, are, since the halfway point, are eighth in defensive efficiency uh, for the league. So that's like that's big time. If I wanted to actually have a question for them, is are they going to be more consistent hitting their three balls? They don't generate a ton of wide open looks relative to the rest of the league. Uh, since we last recorded this, the Clippers are also uh, not shooting. They're shooting better uh, from three overall on thirty seven point one percent. But are they going to be able to turn into maybe just a a higher volume team in that regard? And I'm I'm just not sure that they're going to to do that. And if if their offense is the weaker link, as it kind of has been over the past, I guess, couple weeks or so, maybe that's just a symptom of them integrating um, so many new bodies or when they like to really try and milk mismatches with Montrezl Harrell. So when teams try and play smaller guys on him, so you're just not going to have that inherent three-point volume. I honestly don't know. But if they can, yeah, it's again, if they're shooting a nice clip on three, that's fine. But if they can up their volume in any way, um, to bridge some of the talent variances that they would potentially face in the first round of the playoffs, they're just a team that's not going to go away. And and even without that, 
you know, even with Lou Williams shooting 31.2% from three over his last 20 games, even with all that kind of baked in, they're they're going to punch you. They're really just they're a scrappy team, and they're they're not going to be an easy out for almost anyone. I don't think the Warriors probably, but after that, no one. I I think the one way you don't give them an A to answer your question is if you give them an A plus. Um, Fair enough. <laughs> they've <laughs> they've been so much better than I thought they would be this season, and when they made all those trades. Um, or when they made those moves at the deadline, I, it just felt like, okay, they're they're kind of steering away from the playoffs into a little bit of a rebuild. Uh, and I just I assumed the Kings, I wrongly assumed the Kings or the Lakers would get that eighth spot. And since then, it's it's pretty much a stranglehold on it now. Um, the Clippers and the Spurs both have a ninety five percent chance to get into the playoffs, according to five thirty eight. The Kings are down to six percent, and the Lakers are down to two percent. After last night, part of um, me, I if anyone has a sports book out there that offers straight playoff odds, just wants to put a hundred bucks on the Lakers to make the playoffs because I feel like the odds <laughs> have to be laying pretty favorably at this point. I I think that's a losing bet. Uh, I'm going to advise you to stay away from it, putting any money on the Lakers at this point. Um, <laughs> but I guess you can never uh, underestimate LeBron. Um, if there was ever a season to do it, it would be this one. However, back to the Clippers. Um, they're, they're, like I said, they've just been, they've exceeded expectations all season long. Um, if you had to guess, and this might be ruined if you saw the tweet last night, but where, where would you say Danilo Gallinari is in that average rankings uh, system that I use? If I had to range it, I'm going to say he's top 35. Oh, wow. Good call. Um, as of the one that I did yesterday, he's number 32 in the NBA. If you sort every player in the league with 500 plus minutes by the average of their rank in 10 different catch-alls, he comes in at number 32. Um, he's having a really, really strong season. Uh, not not getting a ton of publicity for it. It seemed like all year long that Tobias Harris and Lou Williams and Montres Harrell were getting a lot of the shine. Um, even Shea Gilgis Alexander. And now since the trade, it seems like a lot of people are talking about Landry Shamit, but Gallinari has been a steady. Um, he's just been such a steady source of offense for them all year. Uh, and one really nice thing, knock on wood is that he's been healthy this whole time. Um, and he's a, he's a big part of why they have exceeded expectations. Um, so yeah, I I think the Clippers are an easy A, and and again the only the only thing that could maybe be different is if they if we gave them an A plus they they've been fantastic. Uh, a fun Gallo stat that I found is there have been ninety eight seasons in or excuse me ninety nine seasons in which a player has averaged more than twenty points, five three point attempts, and five free throw attempts per thirty six minutes. His true shooting percentage among that 99 season group ranks ninth. So he's huh. just having an historically efficient season. I wonder how many of those seasons he's had. He's actually only had one of them. Okay, just this one? Yeah. Uh, his true, I mean, his true shooting percentage has been just bonkers. Is really, I don't know that the, I'd have to look at his three point volume overall. But uh, I don't know that – I'm sure he's had, like, the free throw attempts. He's always been good at, at getting mm -hmm. to the line. But his true shooting percentage this year is just absolutely bonkers. So there's there are only a handful of guys with multiples. Could you guess? I bet you can um, the player who leads all That's in NBA history with it. 
That's got to be hard. Yeah, he has seven. Durant and Lillard and Lou Williams have five. Tied for second. Lou Williams is another guy who can just his his free throw drawing is almost more frustrating than Harden's to me sometimes. It's almost, and that's why you sometimes don't even. He's shooting thirty one point two percent, like I said, from three over his last twenty games, and it's like, oh, he gets to the line eight times per game though, so who cares? He's getting to the line seven seven point seven times per game in under twenty nine minutes per game. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, just that's over his last 20 games. And that's like, per 36, that seems like it's a jillion. So, uh, I wonder what he, uh, I wonder where he ranks all time in free throw rate. That's a question for another day, but it's got to be up there. He's at 9.8 free throw, free throw attempts per 36 minutes over his last. He's got to be though. really high um, for players who are his height. Or lower, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I, I'll look that up for you while you riff on those those good old Lakers. Um, okay, <clears throat> so the Lakers, um, and I just had that dude with the Lakers chain pop into my head right as I said that. Um, oh, that's never good. <laughs> they are 21st in offense, 14th in defense, 22nd in net rating, 30 and 34. Um, I gave him a B at the halfway point. You gave him a C plus. I'm giving him an F <laughs> at the three quarter mark. Um, I know that's a significant drop off from the B that I'm giving them, but I'm I'm just looking at their their entire year in totality, their season in totality, and I'm I'm stretching it all the way back into free agency when they signed Javale McGee, Lance Stevenson, Rajon Rondo uh, at the time. Every one of those moves was, uh, they were all head scratchers. Um, and I, I think every one of those guys has played pretty much exactly how we could have expected. Um, I don't know what Palinka and Magic were thinking when they <laughs> built this team after the LeBron signing. I mean, obviously, everybody's, you know, they, they get their kudos for signing LeBron. Good job. Um, I, I, I mean, think they. <laughs> I was going to say, I think they could have had anybody in that front office and still had him. LeBron wanted to be in Los Angeles. He wanted to be on the Lakers. So I don't think it mattered all that much, all that much who was in the free, <laughs> who was in the front office. Um, I'm so worked up about the Lakers. I can't even talk. <laughs> They're just a mess at this point. Um, the coaching situation is a mess. If they fire Luke Walton and replace him with Jason Kidd or Mark Jackson um, or Ty Lue, it, <laughs> Everything that's everything you hear about the Lakers is just crazy at this point. Um, I, I don't know what else to say. I'm sure I had a question for them. I was supposed to. Um, should they tank is, is kind of my question. At what point will it be like LeBron's got a lingering hamstring soreness? We're going to shut him down for the last few weeks. Um, it seems like at some point they got to do that. Like you said, it's 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 not crazy to not count out LeBron James. Um, he's been the best player in the league for over a decade. Although I think it's pretty clearly not him this season. Um, well, he might not even be top five at this point. Yeah. So, so I, I mean, I hesitate to rule them completely out. Uh, but at this point I would be very, very surprised if they were able to turn it around. They're, they're going to have to start a six or seven or eight game winning streak right now um, to get back into contention and they're they're just running out of time. They're they're down to about twenty games left in the season. Um, at some point, you just gonna. I I don't know why they're they're adding more mileage um, 
to LeBron at this point. I mean, at some point they've got to consider shutting it down. Yeah, I'm I'm with you there. I wasn't as harsh. I gave them a C minus just because I do think they've dealt with a ton of injuries, losing Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram missed the Clippers yeah, game. We still have to factor in the LeBron groin injury. I actually had it was definitely a typo when you were talking. I saw that I had a B minus penciled in for them. I, I certainly was not giving them. I was, <laughs> I was surprised when I saw that. Uh, they're just, and it's turned. Their defense has just not played well anymore. That was one of their bright spots. And since we last recorded this, uh, Los Angeles is 29th in defensive efficiency since the halfway mark of the season. The only team behind them is the Phoenix Suns. Never good company to keep. 5-13 and 13 during that span. LeBron goes into playoff mode and they completely crater. It seems like teammates... Particularly Kyle Kuzma. I think it's been on two occasions now. He's been visibly frustrated when LeBron doesn't play defense. And he's just getting blown by everybody uh, when when they're facing up against him. It happened against the Clippers. And I know he likes to get those blocks from behind. But it's just, it's bad. You don't get to say, I'm going into playoff mode and then continue to quarter-ass it on defense. I don't even know. That might even be giving him too much credit there. So I, I don't have anything to add to what you said. It's just that. They firing Luke Walton now to me would be stupid because you kind of you built yourself of looking at the pool of other coaches that could potentially get fired this year. You know, what if I I don't even know would be a good example. So then maybe that just proves that they could fire him anyway and bring Ty Lewin and they won't find a better replacement. But what if there's just a better name? What if Alvin Gentry gets canned by the Pelicans? He'd be an interesting name for that team, in my opinion. What if what if the Jazz drop to eighth, get waxed in the first round and they they fire Quinn Snyder? because they don't think that they're going to make these big changes in free agency. That's an unlikely scenario. I'm just saying you kind of cheat yourself out of those scenarios. And it's not like, – he's not a great coach. And some of his lineups, even with the roster he has, they just don't make sense. Uh, I forget which game it was where he was closing with uh, KCP instead of uh, Reggie Bullock. And I don't know that Rondo should really be closing any games even when he's playing well. But everything that's wrong with this team is something that everyone basically saw coming. It yep. just it's it's not a surprise. They can't shoot consistently enough. Um, they don't generate enough, or at least lately, wide open three point attempts for a team that's surrounded by LeBron James. And their half court at offense is is even stagnant for a team that has LeBron James and really likes to sometimes slow things down and really just attack from ISOs. There's just sometimes there just seems like there's no ball movement. It's Rondo dribbles up, gives it to LeBron, uh, back to Rondo, back to LeBron, and, and they haven't moved. Like they're just in these same spots. So uh, they're not going to make the playoffs. And that's going, I know you said you're ready for LeBron not to be in the playoffs. I'm going to be a little bit, I'll be here for the jokes for it, but I'm going to be a little bit disappointed to not see him in the postseason. Last thing I'll say about the Lakers too is, um, I, I don't know how serious of a candidate Jason Kidd is, but when you see the difference between the Bucks last season and this season, I, I just don't understand how you can go after him. They need Fred uh, Hoiberg. He's showing that he can lead stars. <laughs> Um, uh, yeah, it's just, it's crazy to me. I looked up your Lou Williams thing. There have been 110 players, six one or shorter, who have played at least 10,000 minutes over their career. Lou Williams is eighth in free throw attempt rate. Who's ahead of him? Did you say six four or shorter? Six one or shorter. Oh, okay, six one is. is I'm going to guess Iverson. No, he is tenth. I want to see if you can get even one of these names. I don't think you're going to get any of them. Uh, geez. Um, yeah, I'm, uh, yeah, Iverson's the only one I had off the top of my head. Yeah, this is a tough one. So number seven, John Stockton. Okay, wow. Number six, Tiny Archibald. 
Number five, George King. Number four, Lenny Wilkins. Number three, Kevin Johnson. Number two, Bobby Wanzer. And number one is Dick McGuire. If you, I want, what I, are the years? Bobby Wanzer and Dick McGuire got to be fifties players. Um, yes. Uh, <laughs> McGuire was fifty to sixty. Uh, Wanzer was forty nine to fifty seven. So the glory days. If you went to like fifteen thousand minutes, you would get rid of George King and Wanzer from that list, and it seems like it'd be just a tiny more accurate. But still, eighth out of one hundred and ten. That's not bad. I did it by. Uh, Free throw attempts per 100 possessions, which is a little bit different. Um, the only people that had been there are uh, Iverson and Mac Calvin. Well, that's... Here, here's a name for you. Number seven on that list, Letirio Green. Ooh. <laughs> I can honestly say I've never heard that name before. Yeah. I've never heard of him either. Um, I guess per 100 possessions would be more accurate for him because he just gets up shots. So his free throw attempt rate is always going to be just even as high as it is. It might actually be skewed in the wrong direction. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be doing some material green research at some point. I expect today. a stats thread. Uh, <laughs> the, the Memphis Grizzlies, they are 30th in offense, 6th in defense, 25th in net rating, 25 and 40 overall. Um, I gave them a C. I didn't like, I just don't know what to watch for with this team. And I've, uh, since Jared Jackson Jr. went down, I've watched three of their games, I think, um, or most of three of their games, I should say. I don't, I just don't know what I'm looking at. They've had some like fun <laughs> wins. I'm sorry. Like the offense is just not good now, which I guess you would expect. Um, are they going to officially shut down Mike Conley at some point? Uh, they they had sort of a fun game against Oklahoma City on Sunday. Uh, they only lost by four, but it was just it was it was an ugly game too. And so you know they played Chicago tightly. I, I think what they need to see for me, and this is looking at it from a distance. I'm sure there'll be Memphians that disagree. They have to figure out whether uh, Delon Wright's a keeper, just because he's going to be a restricted free agent. He turns 27 before next season, and he hasn't played like spectacular basketball with them. He's shooting under 40% from the floor. His defense has been pretty good uh, there. But you need, if you're going to trade Mike Conley uh, over the offseason, like a lot of people expect them to do, you need someone while he, maybe he's not necessar- he's not a quintessential point guard. It, if you're going to invest in him at all, if you're going to give out contracts, you need to be sure that there are these long-term pieces. And a guy who's shooting uh, 39.2% from the field with you and, and 20% from three. Uh, his passing has been pretty good since he's been there, but again, can he lead an above average offense? I just, I don't know. And that's a question they have that they have to ask because he was functionally the centerpiece of that Mark Gasol trade. And so unless you view Valanciunas or CJ miles as the guy, uh, the asset, I, I don't know what else like to say about that deal. You could end up have just giving away Mark Gasol for, Nothing. It's not even really salary cap relief if you assume that Valanciunas and C.J. Miles are going to pick up their their player options. Yeah, this season has been kind of a letdown uh, for DeLon Wright. His his true shooting percentage has gone from 57 to 52 uh, last season to this season. His box plus minus from 2.8 to 0.5. Um, win shares per 48, 150 to about 110. It, it's just... Uh, He's taking a step back for sure. My, I, I kept sort of cackling in the background here. I think the tagline for the Grizzlies that your 2018-19 Grizzlies. I don't know what I'm watching. Um, <laughs> just perfect. 
Um, I gave him a C plus. Nice. That, that four point loss to OKC swayed you. <laughs> I, what swayed me is their defense. I, I'm, I'm just going to give them a little bit of credit for being a top ten defense. Um, shout out to Joakim Noah for showing signs of life here in the last fair weeks, but. <laughs> like you said, it's it's kind of a mess at this point. The the bright spot for them for most of the season was Jaron Jackson Jr., so him being out is a big bummer. Um, I imagine they'll probably reopen trade talks on Mike Conley this summer. Um, who knows if they'll get better or worse deals for him. He'll be six months older. I don't know if that's that big of a deal. Um, but, yeah, they're, they're just kind of – I don't know. A lot of question marks. A lot of Avery Bradley too, and he's actually not. Oh, yeah, him against OKC, he was just. I'm almost. He's, he's playing so well for them. I would say he's been better. <laughs> that I'm. I'm starting to wonder whether they're going to guarantee next year's salary, take this year's top five prospect or whoever they get, run it back with Conley and Jackson Jr. and him and Valanciunas, and try and make the playoffs again. That's what they seem like they might be playing themselves into. Avery Bradley has become one of my favorite. Um, I test versus stats guys, but he's actually, like you said, he's been really good with the Grizzlies. Slashing um, 49, 42, 94. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't get to the foul line, but still. Um, And he's averaging and he's, 4.2 assists per game. I can honestly say I did not know that. No, I wouldn't have known that either. I knew he was uh, shooting the lights out. I didn't, I did not know that. My favorite Avery Bradley season will always be the one when he averaged six rebounds a game for the Celtics. And it was even higher. It was like around eight for a big chunk of that season, but he's what just an interesting career. Um, it'd be cool if he kept this up, but I am skeptical. Um, Minnesota Timberwolves 20. Okay. I got to get back to the beginning of this thing. Uh, 11th in offense, 20th in defense, 15th in net rating, 29 and 34 record. Um, we each gave him a C uh, no, I give him a C plus at the halfway point. Uh, I'm oh, giving him a C. <laughs> I, I've dropped him down to a C. Um, they're not quite as what am I like? They're not quite as far down the what am I watching scale as the Grizzlies that you just invented. Um, <laughs> however, after Carl Anthony Towns, I think the the question kind of applies. Um, it's almost become too easy to pick on Andrew Wiggins at this point but <laughs> I'm sorry where <laughs> is this the first year of his huge contract or is that next year no that's this year he's making 25 and a half million dollars um shooting 39.6 percent from the field 33 percent from three uh which is actually right in line with his career average um 70 percent from the line he's still his assists are up a little bit but it's still not enough um, he, he is about as much of an empty calorie scorer as we have in the league. 17.6 points on four or on, uh, sorry, 16.4 shots. Um, <laughs> after, I mean, those, those are the two big name guys. Um, but after that, I think you have to get like real basketball nerdy to find guys who you really, you want to invest some <laughs> long-term interest in. I mean, Tyus Jones has always been interesting to me, but. I'm starting to wonder, is he ever going to have a consistent spot in the rotation on this team? Um, Jeff Teague and Taj Gibson, it's like eh. there's really nothing new to learn about those guys at this point. Um, Sarich has been underwhelming compared to what he was in Philly. Um, I don't I don't know. I, they, like I said, they're not quite on the level 
of the Grizzlies in terms of, you know, what do I pay attention to with this team? Um, but it's just, it's, it's been interesting. I guess my question for them would be, uh, who fits next to Towns? Um, you, you kind of have to, <laughs> you have to make Wiggins fit. Cause I can't imagine anybody would trade for him. Um, but after that, I just, a I don't. A lot of Grizzlies fans have been on Twitter saying that they would, which puzzles me. Is it so they can get out of the Parsons contract? How much longer is that? Oh, okay. If I'm the Timberwolves, I'll take on a year of Parsons so that you can have the next basically half decade of Andrew Wiggins. I would do that in a heartbeat. Um, uh, yeah, I, I just can't. I mean, other than them, I can't think of many teams where they would take that shot on the on the Wiggins contract. No, I got nothing unless Phoenix goes full Phoenix over the offseason or something. <laughs> uh, we Can we pour one out for the resurrection while he's injured now? Luel Dang? Another former bull oh, getting yeah. it done. Uh, <laughs> that's been fun to watch in Minnesota. Dario Sars, they need to find a way to get him more shots because he's been shooting really well, and I think he's someone who could fit snugly next to Towns. Uh, he's yeah. if, you're, if you're talking about the best fit next to Towns on the roster, that's also a long-term piece, it's probably him because it's not Andrew Wiggins. Uh, we should also mention that for the people who didn't think that Derrick Rose's three-point shooting was going to cool off, and I'm pretty sure this number is going to blow your mind, since we recorded this, and he had he did miss some time, so he's only played 13 games. He is shooting 3.8% from three. Oh, oh my gosh. How many attempts? <laughs> About two per game. Wow. So what is he, like two, one, one for 26? Oh, his, his total during that time is... Uh, he is one of 26. Yeah. Wow. That was some, that was some quick ass math, Andy. That's right. <laughs> I think we just leave it there. That's your mic drop for the Timberwolves. That's amazing. Yeah. I would not have known to look that I up. I gave them a, a C plus, by the way, I moved off the window. Yeah. I gave them a C plus just because I don't know what to look at through this team. And I still think that when Covington is played that they've looked a lot better defensively. Uh, the numbers are not actually supporting that at the moment, but I think they've looked just a lot more cohesive, including towns on defense when you have, uh, Covington on the court. That moves us to the New Orleans Pelicans. They are eighth in offense, twenty um, second in defense, and twelfth in net, net rating, which is just crazy. Um, Thirty and thirty six overall. They, I gave them a B, or no, that was you. I we both gave them a B at the first quarter. Um, both gave them a C minus at the half, and we both gave them a C plus at the three quarter mark. Definitely Michael, to go higher on them, by the way. What's that? I'm tempted to go higher on the Pelicans, by the way, just because I don't necessarily agree that they. I would have shut down Davis and eaten the fine and stopped my money, obviously. But they've they've played some good games in the face of this crap show. I could probably be talked into going higher too. Um, throughout this chaos, Drew Holiday has been good. Um, Julius Randle has shown some stuff this season. I, I think, generally speaking, they've handled the whole um, Anthony Davis nightmare pretty well. Uh, did you watch the end of that Jazz Pelicans game, by the way? I did not. So they shut Davis down at around 20 minutes like they have been lately. And then they brought him in for the final possession of the game to guard the inbounder. Which, <laughs> <laughs> I just thought that was hilarious. Um, but yeah, I, I could probably be talked into a little bit higher than a C+. My question for them is why, uh, why, why are they c- continuing the charade? Um, I know that it's $100,000 per game fine. Isn't that what the league said they would do? Yeah. It shut him down. Um, 
at this point, it, it just doesn't make any sense for, for the guy to play 15, 20 minutes a game. Um, it's, it's very obvious where this is heading. Uh, can, is he going to get through the summer and still be on the Pelicans? They have to find a trade for him this summer. It would be really right? funny if they didn't. If Kyrie just left Boston, but New York also didn't win the lottery, so their <laughs> offer just isn't good and Boston's not going to offer anything, and then the Lakers. They're, they're still going to negotiate in, quote, bad faith with the yeah. Lakers. <laughs> My question for the Pelicans would be, why isn't Kenrich Williams playing 48 minutes a game? Fair. Good question. <laughs> I think they've uh, the team itself has responded well. Um, I think they're rapidly, or they already figured out that they don't have a keeper in Stanley Johnson, but whatever, that's fine. Uh, it's there are I don't know what they do moving forward because so much is contingent upon the Anthony Davis trade. But Etwan Moore is perked up a little bit, like you said about Drew Holiday. Julius Randle is forever giving up as many points as he scores, but he's he scores a lot of points. Um, so they're they're going to be interesting to watch over the summer, not just because of the Davis trade, but are they going to keep Randle, who has a player option, is probably going to opt out. They don't have his bird rights, but they'll have some cap flexibility. Are they going to look to move more or Drew, or Drew Holiday? Are they going to try and opt for that quicker re- rebuild route? And then you'll see them keep those guys, maybe try and get Darius Miller back, who has gone cold from three, and just see whatever they get for Davis, whether that's enough to keep them in the postseason discussion. That's that's a question for the summer, but that's also something to watch now because if they, you know, what if they finish above the Lakers in the standings or something, they might be tempted to, you know, if they catch the Timberwolves in LA, they might be tempted to say, oh, you know, we get whatever for Davis and we're just going to, we're going to try and get back in the playoffs. I don't think that's the right route to go, but something yeah. to monitor. That brings us to the Thunder. They are 15th in offense, third in defense, seventh in net rating, 39 and 24. Um, I gave them. I'm going to give that. I, I have a, a B minus or a B plus written here. I'm going to switch it to an A minus. Um, Paul George has missed some games recently, so that hasn't helped. But on balance, this has been a really, really good team. They're when I watch them play. Um, I know they're not number one in defense anymore, but they just they feel like such a ferocious defense when I watch them. They're flying around. Um, Paul George can guard anybody. Um, Jeremy Grant can guard anybody. Westbrook still gambles from time to time, but just the sheer athleticism and the force that he plays with is is difficult uh, to handle if you're the opposition. Um, my question for them, and it's it's almost rhetorical. Uh, the question <laughs> the question for the Thunder for the last few years has been, um, do they have enough shooting? And I'm I'm tempted to say that they might now. Um, you know, it would it would always help to have more, and it certainly doesn't help that one guy is shooting five threes a game and shooting them at twenty six point six percent in Russell Westbrook. But there's there's a decent number of guys on this team now who are shooting uh, around or above average from three. Paul George is taking almost ten attempts and shooting thirty nine point eight percent. Jeremy Grant is shooting thirty seven point eight percent. Terrence Ferguson, 37.1, Abdul Nader, 36.7, and Markeith Morris, who's only been there for, for six games, but he's shooting 35%, and he's a guy that I think has shown us in the past that he can be at least around average. Um, so suddenly this team with this, this crazy, uh, almost like manic defense has a little bit of shoot to go on the other end. And uh, we mentioned the Rockets as – Maybe the best challenger to 
to the Warriors in the West, and I think I'd probably stick with that. Uh, but if if Oklahoma City is fully healthy, um, I, I think they could at least maybe take a couple games off the Warriors. Yeah, I gave them an, an A- minus as well, and I'm tempted to go A. And my points about them were the same on the shooting. Since January 1st, they are tied for fifth in three-point accuracy. I, yeah, I would not have guessed that. Since um, the halfway point when we recorded for them, Paul George is shooting 42.4% from deep on 11.9 threes per game. Wow. Uh, Dennis Schroeder is at 39.3% on almost five attempts per game. Jeremy Grant's at 45.8% on 3.5 attempts per game. Terrence Ferguson's at 37.1% on almost five attempts per game. You already rattled off Markeith Morris's numbers. They've it's uh, Nader's uh, percentage has fallen a little bit, but he still emerges a spacing option for them. I think the question there would be, is this going to translate to the playoffs? What's going to happen with Grant and Ferguson, the guys who are going to be left alone? Are they going to be hitting their shots? And is Paul George going to be able to hit uh, at such a high clip with the degree of difficulty on some of his threes that he's just creating from scratch? I would bet on him before I bet on some of the other guys hitting a ton of wide open looks in the postseason. But if they're going to get anything close, you know, Jeremy Grant doesn't have to shoot 46% from three for them to be a good a, a team with enviable or, or adequate spacing. They just need these guys to hit some shots, and so right now they're they're overcorrecting. If they even if they fall off a little bit, they're going to be a scary ass team in the playoffs. Can you guess what percentage of OKC's total three point attempts have been taken by Paul George? Out of ball, can you give me an no? Don't give me an over under. I'm going to say over thirty percent. Wow, your guessing game is strong today. 29.1%. Damn, I'm so close. But that's actually a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's a ton. Um, the, the guys who are second and third in attempts are Westbrook and Schroeder, and their attempts combined are fewer than Paul George's attempts. Um, so maybe <laughs> maybe one of the cures for their shooting woes was just let the guy who could shoot, shoot them. Um and then obviously it's helped that guys like Jeremy Grant have, have figured some things out and Terrence Ferguson's uh, been able to hit some threes this year. But um, getting getting Paul George to up his volume the way he has is, has certainly helped. Um, we are right, on bring- to the Portland Trailblazers breaking up. Oh, no, we're on the Phoenix Suns. Sorry, you're still on your streak. Excuse me. How dare you? Suns fans hate me, so they I, I should get a little bit of um, credit from them for – preserving their spot in the podcast they are 28th in offense 29th in defense 29th in net rating 14 and 51 i gave them a c um and it's it's basically the reason that i explained for a lot of my c's in the last episode with the eastern conference i just this is just basically what i think we could have expected from the suns um and i actually i I could probably be talked into a c plus because i think deandre ayton's better than i expecting him to be in year one. Um, I think they got a pretty good young player in Michael Bridges. <laughs> There's just, uh, I don't know. This is, a, I, I love the way that you framed the discussion of the Grizzlies and now I'm going to apply it to like every team. They're another one that's kind of on the, what am I watching scale? Um, Devin Booker's the big name recognition, but my question is, is he the undisputed centerpiece of the team and maybe it's a dumb question because you don't necessarily need just one um 
But if you had to, if you had to pick one guy between Aiton and Booker going forward, I'm not sure it's a foregone conclusion that it's Booker. It's not particularly because Aiton has been a lot better defensively since the turn of the calendar. Uh, from his rotations to his standstill rim protection, if he's going to become an above-average defender, which he is not at the moment, let me make that clear, it could be him. I mean, he, I'd like to see some more floor floor stuff to his offensive game, but it, it could definitely be him. I think right now it's, it's clearly Booker, and, and like you said, you don't necessarily need one. Here's where I land on the Suns, and it's for a team, I gave them a D, so I'm going to get that out of the way. For a team that has so many bright spots, and I'm going to name that there are some players like Josh Jackson that I still haven't given up on, but these are just the inarguable bright spots for this team. Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, TJ Warren with the way he's played this season, uh, Mikael yeah. Bridges, who is, obviously he's coming, he spent four years in college, uh, one of the redshirt seasons. He just still seems far along defensively for someone his age, and if they could use him a little bit better on the offensive end, he might even look better than he does. Uh, Richon Holmes has been good this year. Anthony Melton's defense has been sort of a bright spot for them. The Suns are absolutely terrible on the defensive end, but he's been, I wouldn't say he's a great defender, but he's just been sort of fidgety you know, there in a good way. Let me, did you know that he leads the NBA in steal percentage? That I can honestly say no, I did not. There you <laughs> but, go. Look at me. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, so you have that and then you have other guys that you could look at be like, well, you know, if they get Ubre at a good price point and what if Josh Jackson turned into something, he could be pesky defensively already. Um, have they given enough of a shot to Elliot Kobo, who has been um, pretty bad at points? Be quietly bad. Just be quietly bad. Suck in silence. That is the motto for the ta- these tanking teams. Suck in silence. We have this op-ed from ESPN.com's Kevin Arnovitz, which was spectacular on the Suns. They don't seem to have a clear front office structure in place. The, the order of events of fine Ryan McDonough are still coming back to haunt them in the sense that now Igor Kokoshkov is on the hot seat, and I don't think he's done a great job. Uh, the Suns did not run a lot of inventive stuff at the offensive end. I think you could argue that he probably needs to give uh, some more of the, the kids free reign offensively, too. I'm not talking about Booker, uh, but maybe you ask to tap into more of Aiton's you know, self-sufficient game where you see him attack from face-ups, uh, definitely more from Bridges himself. Just suck in silence like it, I just don't understand why why certain teams can't do that and it's I know Phoenix isn't the necessarily smallest market but like they're so bad they have so many bright spots they're gonna have another top pick it should be like the future's on the up and up and yet they're gonna have to make a decision on the coaching they have to make a decision on the front office do we trust that they're not gonna um fire Kokoshkov hire a coach and then hire a GM and a president of basketball operations in that order uh, ownership, as Danny LaRue on the Dunktown podcast say, is the biggest competitive advantage in the NBA. And I think that holds true more so than anywhere else. Uh, one, New York, obviously, with the Knicks, but also with Phoenix and Robert Sarver, who just does not. I The report from Kevin Arnovitz about how much he meddles is just mind blowing. And that these players seem genuinely unhappy there. Like Aiton as a rookie seems genuinely unhappy with the structure of the Suns, and, and that's a problem. They get a D, and they're lucky they don't get an F. Their players are saving them from from the fate of an F from me. And uh, shout-out to them for beating the Bucks. Yes, then twice. Okay, that's D-plus. They get a D-plus. <laughs> now right. we're on to the Portland Trail Blazers, yep. unless you have something to add. Nope. Um, the Blazers are fourth in offense, 16th in defense, ninth in net rating, and I gave them in a minus and I could be talked into giving them a lower grade um, just because 
it, this ties into my question, does uh, Enos Cantor need to play? <laughs> now, I'm going to read you the net ratings. These are small sample sizes, but I'm going to read you the net ratings um, of the top lineups that he's been used in. We'll say the top, we'll go top six. Minus 33.1, plus 36.7, minus 39.7, minus 79.4, minus 2.9, minus 119.4. <laughs> These are all ridiculous sample sizes, and he's only no lineup that has him has appeared in more than four games or 27 minutes together. Does he need to play? That's my honest question to this team. They've been such a bright spot overall. I just, does Enos can't, does Enos can need to play for them? Um, the answer is no, Andy. Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> I think Myers Leonard and, and Zach Collins were both showing some interesting things as backup centers this season too. Collins is cool, cooled off, like cooled way off offensively. And I know yeah. Canner gives you kind of a hub inside, not necessarily similar to what Nurkic can do, but it's just that other body. I'm not just no. And maybe like if they think that they need the offensive rebounding because Mo Harkless and Rodney Hood aren't shooting well from three over the past couple weeks, I sort of get it, but I'm no, it's not doing it for me. Can you guess who leads the Blazers in box plus minus? Nurkic. Yes, correct. It's got that was uh that was an easy one. I, it, I've been following your catch all ranks all year, so that that was a good one. Um, I think Lillard is still ahead of him in the averages. I'm I'm quite certain of that. He's but. cooled off from three lately too. This team could use need some people to get hot from downtown. Yeah, and uh, Rodney Hood will give you the occasional like um, explosion off the bench type of a game. But you're right; they could they could use a little bit of a boost in shooting. Um, as far as your question, I, yeah, I don't think they really should um, or really need to be playing Ennis Cantor. So right now Lillard is 11th in average rankings and Nurkic is 15th. Um, I, I'm going to give them an A minus. This is another team I had penciled in as a B plus, but I'm going to bump them up. Uh, it feels like it's been two or three years in a row now that it's like, well, the Blazers have kind of hit their ceiling. It's time to blow it up. It's time to trade uh, McCollum, get a bigger shooting guard who can guard some more people next to Lillard. Uh, but year after year, uh, they just keep plugging along. They keep making the playoffs. Last year, they were the number three seed. Uh, right now, they're very much in contention for um, a three seed again. They're not like terribly far behind the Nuggets for number two. I don't think they'll catch them. Um, but... <laughs> They're just quietly uh, – they're, they're the opposite of um, what you were saying with the Suns, who suck kind of loudly. The Blazers are just quietly good year after year after year. And I'm not sure – Damian Lillard does get a lot of credit. I mean, he was first-team All-NBA last season, right? Or was it second team? Um, I think he I think was he first. Was look. So he's, you know, he's getting credit, but – how often do we talk about Damian Lillard as one of the 10 best players in the NBA? Um, would, who would you take between him and Kyrie Irving? Oh, um, Kyrie's younger, but has the knee problems. Lillard was first team all NBA last year, by the way. Um, and if during in the, like, I mean, I would take Lillard just because he's clearly a better leader with the way exactly. that the Boston's locker room is falling apart. That's just not even a question. Yeah. Um, and I and I think 
basketball wise, uh, you could probably even make an argument for Lillard there. So, so the leadership thing just puts it way over the top. Um, yeah, this is just a team that's year after year, quietly, very, very solid. Um, this is a team where continuity has worked. Terry Stotts has been there for a while. Damian Lillard has been there for a while. And it seems like as long as you've got those two pieces in place, you're in pretty good shape. Yeah, they're they're the, also the team where perception can just shift on a whim, though, because it's just because yeah. I guess of how tightly contested the West is. If they go in the first round um, yeah, in that sure. four five matchup and then get obliterated by the Rockets in five games, then all of a sudden we're going to be singing a different tune. Not saying that's what's going to happen, but I feel like our perception and interpretation of their performances has waxed and waned a lot more than a lot of the other playoff locks in the West. All right, the Sacramento Kings are 19th in offense, 15th in defense, and 20th in net rating. They're 32 and 31. Um, I gave them an A. Gave them an A at the halfway point as well. Um, Like I said earlier, it looks like they're going to miss the playoffs. Their chances are down to 6%. The Clippers are are, um, getting surer and surer footing every game on that spot. But 63 games into the year, to be over 500, I don't think many people could have predicted that before the season started. And now there are there's a bunch of legitimate bright spots on this team. Um, we just went through this with the Suns, but the Kings have De'Aaron Fox. Looks like a great leader. Um, looks like a guy who could be like 18 and eight for a long time in the NBA. Marvin Bagley's looked better than I thought he would this season. Um, I love Buddy Heald. The, the, Harry Giles has shown some things as a passing big man. Um, there's a lot of interesting things to pay attention to with the Kings. My question for them is really focused on this season. I don't think it's going to matter in the long run, but I, I'm just wondering what happened to Nemanja Bielitsa. Um It seems like their sort of falling out of the playoff race coincided with him falling out of the rotation. On the season, Sacramento's plus three and a half points per hundred possessions when Bielitsa's in the game at 72nd percentile. They're minus 4.4, which is 28th percentile with he, when he's off. Um, and then when the when Harrison Barnes is on the floor, who they recently acquired, they're minus 1 point per 100 possessions, 45th percentile. And when he's off, they're minus 0. 0.7, um, 46th percentile. Those, those are not that big of a difference, obviously. Um, but it just seemed like they when they were really trending towards a playoff spot, it was that lineup that had Nemanja Bielitsa at the four. Um, I don't know if it's like a stealth tank or they just want to play the younger guys more. What and, are they and, stealth tanking for? <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Um, I th- it was a team that I really, really wanted to see in the playoffs this season. They would have gotten destroyed by the Warriors in the first round, but I think they would have been really fast paced and fun games. Um, but yeah, it, it's something that I've just thought about the last couple of weeks, and I really don't understand the reasoning for taking him out of the rotation. He he was, he was, I hate this cliche, but he really was sort of a glue guy for them. Yeah, and he's come back in the last two games, and they are a plus 22 total when he's on the floor in those two games. Uh, there you go. There's, I think there's an opening now for him to get more minutes while Bagley's dealing with his, I think it's a left knee sprain at the moment. So, and he did play 23 minutes uh, in their win over the Knicks, almost 24 minutes actually. So, there's that. I would like to see. I gave Sacramento an A as well because they've just destroyed expectations. It's not even a question at this point. I, I want to see more of like the – I'd like to see a lot of, you know, Giles and Bielitsa on the floor together. 
Um, that especially with Bagley out, I think that's something that could work. Or you could go Barnes and Bialita as your front court. Or you could go Barnes and Giles. We haven't seen enough of that. And there's been you know there's been drips and drabs of this um, for them. They've played a few possessions with each comma, but I think that that's really where they could. It's going to hurt your defense in a lot of those instances, but Willie Cauley-Stein doesn't do enough defensively for you anyway, and a lot of stuff he does on the court for them is just they don't need. It's, it's replaceable. So I would like to see them really go into, you can call it a small ball model, but like let's get these just hyper-versatile Bialita at the five with Barnes at the four, or Giles at the five with Barnes at the four combinations running, and then let uh, Bagley be more of an extension of that when he comes back. I'm not talking about just Bagley and Giles, which is something we've seen more of in recent weeks when, when Bagley's been healthy. But, you know, let's go Bagley and, you know, Barnes or Bagley, more of Bagley and Bielita. And I think if you're still going for the playoff berth as they should, you're right, that Bielita absolutely belongs in the rotation. For sure. That brings us to the San Antonio Spurs. They are sixth in offensive efficiency, 23rd in defensive efficiency, 13th in net rating. Uh, they're a tough team to grade. I gave them a B. Um, so I was in lockstep with you right there as well. Their defense is, I mean, and that's the question for them. So since the last time you recorded this, they're 27 in defensive efficiency, which is an absolute problem. Um, during that time span, they are the worst team in the league at protecting the rim. Uh, they don't give up. I, I, they don't give up a ton of wide open three pointers, but opponents during that time are also shooting like a jillion percent on wide open threes against the Spurs. When you look at their four factors too, the Spurs actually rate fairly favorably during this past stretch. Um, they are second in opponent offensive rebounding percentage. They don't go after turnovers, but we know that. Um, they're fourth in opponent free throw attempt rate. Uh, where they just really uh, start to get killed is because they can. teams are going to shoot maybe not a ton of looks against them at the rim, but they're going to shoot a high percentage. They're 27th in opponent effective field goal percentage. And we combine that with the the absence of consistent three-point defense. Again, their scheme makes it so that they're never just going to give up a ton of these looks. Uh, it, it really becomes a problem. And I also think that I don't if if defense not that it's not going to be their priority, but if they're playing this bad defensively as it is, like then let's go nuclear. And I I want to see more uh, Lamarcus Aldridge and Rudy Gay four-five combinations for them. Um, and that maybe that's just something that gives them even more of an offensive advantage because the offense has been, as their numbers prove, pretty good this year. And Derek White has been a revelation for them when he is healthy. And Bryn Forbes has um, had plenty of his moments. Uh, I also like Davis Bertans. You know, let's yeah. go really small. Play Gay and Bertans and just lean into that. Again, if your defense is that compromised already, I don't see the harm in, in trying it. And the, the other question for them, as it is for so many of these other teams, is can they avoid that? that eight spot uh, because they're, they will get destroyed by this golden state team. I mean, anyone will, but they'll get absolutely annihilated. Yeah. Um, it, they're, they're kind of the inverse of what they've been in so many years uh, with Greg Popovich, where it was always like, you can just count on San Antonio having a good defense. Um, and I guess we probably could have seen that coming with an aging LaMarcus Aldridge and DeMar DeRozan replacing Kawhi Leonard. Um, so, they're a team that, excuse me, um, I gave them a B as well. They're, they're a team that I think has slightly exceeded my expectations. Um, I, I thought the the swap from Leonard to DeRozan, even though Leonard didn't play last season, I just thought that's a that's going to be a big step down uh, in terms of your main 
wing, but they've gotten really nice contributions from guys that you just you already mentioned. Like Rudy Gay is is a really interesting and fun story to me. He's not talked about a ton, but he's a guy you can look at as that that was a successful Achilles recovery. He's been great for them. Um, Derek White is fun. Bertans is fun. Um, they've got some some interesting pieces here and there, but this is a team that. <clears throat> I don't think is I don't think anybody could talk themselves into them being a real title contender. Uh, I'm not necessarily sure that's a you know that's a terrible thing. Uh, there probably aren't many title contenders at this point. Um, I, I wonder if San Antonio will ever embrace a full rebuild. Um, I think as long as they've got their infrastructure in, in place, they can go to the playoffs every year. They can win 45 to 50 games just about every year, but I wonder if they'll ever get back to the top without doing something a little bit more dramatic. It would probably just hinge on Murray and White at this point, right? Or maybe if they thought, maybe it's Lonnie Walker too, or maybe someone in the draft. That's that's really where it is for them. The last two notes before I let you get to the Jazz, um, we shall pour one out for that Pau Gasol contract, still technically on the books, but uh, <laughs> he is no longer in San Antonio. They're without having his contract as a trade chip, they're basically locked into the roster next season too. It's just we're adding Murray and banking on the development of our young guys. Maybe we'll re-sign Rudy Gay. We have his early bird rights. Will they have the non-taxpayers mid-level? They probably will. I wonder who they could get for that. They're not they're probably not going to make any substantial changes over the offseason either. And finally, can you guess how many possessions the Spurs have played with Davis Bertans at center and Rudy Gay at the four? Uh five. One. <laughs> Yeah, embrace embrace some small ball, Pop. Come on. I'm just saying, if your defense is that shitty already, hey, no, I agree with you. It, it, I, I would love to see them steer into more stuff like that. Are you ready to talk about your wildly disappointing Utah Jazz? At least over the last 24 hours. Um, yes, over the last 24 hours, they have been a major disappointment. Uh, 18th in offense, second in defense, uh, eighth in net rating, 36 and 27. Um, I gave them a B, and so did you. So <laughs> they've been really good lately, um, and that, for the second year in a row, they're they're making a real serious charge uh, in the second half. They've got the easiest remaining schedule in the league, so they I think fifty wins is still in in play for them. The reason I gave them a B and not something higher is uh, generally speaking, when they play good teams. Their weaknesses um, are very much exposed. Right now, they're 18 and 19 against teams that are over 500, and they're 18 and 8 against sub 500 teams. Um, and it's a good thing to beat bad teams, um, beat the teams you should, last night notwithstanding. But a sub 500 record against teams that are above 500 is, is not a great indicator for the postseason. Um, and when I look at the landscape of the West, the only team that that I think is kind of a good matchup for Utah is San Antonio. Everyone else, I think, could beat the Jazz. Um, and, and maybe that's not a terrible thing because you could probably say that about a bunch of teams in the West right. that for the most part, you know, flip a coin for a lot of those series. Um, but <clears throat> the weaknesses that we've talked about with them for the last couple of years are just glaring when they play good teams. Like if, if Donovan Mitchell doesn't score 35 plus points um, offensively, they're just going to be in trouble. 
against good teams. My question for them is, um, is there anything that can sort of uh, test the undying loyalty of Quinn Snyder to Ricky Rubio? <laughs> I, I just did a player impact chart on him a couple days ago. And there's a lot of advanced numbers that still like him. I think he's probably still around the range of like 120 in the average rankings thing. Um, yeah, he's 125 right now. And if you figure every team has five starters, five times 30 is 150. So anybody in that like top 150 range is a starter level player. When he's on the floor, he just doesn't, he doesn't look like a starting NBA player to me. Um, as soon as he checked into that game in the fourth quarter, he just got blown by, uh, like he was stuck in mud by Frank Jackson. He his his defense on ball has has been a real struggle this season. His shooting, um, he had an amazing closing kick to last year, and I kept thinking, well, maybe he'll do that again this season. But his shooting has just never come around this year. He's thirty two point seven percent from three. Um, teams literally, if you watch them play, they don't even they don't bother to guard him at the three point line, which crowds things for a team that doesn't have a ton of spacing when Gobert and, and uh, Favors are on the floor. Um, the other option, the obvious one, is to move Mitchell to the one and play Royce O'Neal at the two. Uh, that starting lineup has been good this season for them. I'm interested to see if Dante Exum will get a few more minutes when he comes back from his ankle injury. Um, long story short, the only two guys when I did that player impact chart whose net ratings were not uh, made worse by Rubio was Mitchell and Exum. The rest of the team, um, their net ratings are worse when they share the floor with Rubio. So at some point you think that, or I would think that Quinn Snyder is going to have to make some kind of an adjustment to his rotation because the Rubio minutes have hurt in, in many, many games. Yeah. It's uh, I was actually going to say something about maybe you use Mitchell at the one with O'Neal. Too. And those lineups, when you play those two together without uh, Rubio or Exum on the floor, they're really good defensively, 91st percentile. Uh, they're 28th percentile on offense, but you can get by on 107 points per 100 possessions. And that's, I would hazard, I'll have to filter it and change it, but I would hazard that that combination has been better of late, particularly with the way Royce O'Neal has been shooting. I gave them a B as well. Uh, something to at least to look forward to with them is they have the easiest schedule um, for the closing kick than, than any team in the league when you're looking at opponent winning percentage. That should at least ensure that they don't drop down to the eight spot because they are, you know, they're only a, a ga two games in the loss column in front of the Spurs right now. And they are just getting good basketball. Derek Favors is playing really well. Kyle Korver, I feel like the past two or three games has decided that he's just going to shoot everything, and I'm totally <laughs> okay with that. Um, they need more out of Jay Crowder on offense. He's so good for what they can unlock uh, defensively, but he needs to hit. I would think more of his shots. Um, the ones he's going to take inside the arc, one, need to be of higher quality. But two, you want to see him shoot better than average or slightly below average from three. And, I mean, you mentioned the Rubio minutes. The one talking point that I thought was funny, and um, Donovan Mitchell's shooting has cooled off a little bit, by the way, but he's still, you know, he's like, I think he's 34 points. I don't think I'm looking at it. He's 34.7% from three over his last 17 games, which is since we last recorded, that's fine. Scoring 27.3 points per game during that stretch, getting to the foul line a ton. And his playmaking seems like it's gotten a lot better. I did see uh, Twitter was talking about what uh, they would, I think it was Jazz Twitter, that they would rather have Derek Favors over Al Horford. I am going to disrespectfully tell those people that they are crazy. I know Favors is going to put up gaudier scoring numbers and rebounding numbers 
what Al Horford does defensively, what he does as a floor spacer, what he does as a passer makes him clearly better than Derek Favors. So let's just, I just wanted to put to bed that little, that little discussion I saw taking place because that I actually thought was impressively bonkers to even talk about. Yeah, I saw that as well. Um, I, I too would take Horford right now in my average rankings thing, Horford is 30 and Derek Favors is 39, but especially on the, the, the build of this jazz team, um, to have a guy who can reliably shoot threes like Horford and be sort of a, a high post distributor, kind of like Jokic is, um, he, he would unlock a lot. I, not that there's any chance that Al Horford will be on the jazz, but yeah, that was, that was an interesting thing to see pop up on Twitter. Um, one that I, I don't agree with either. Um, long story short with the, with the jazz, I just, I feel like there are lineups with them that have a higher ceiling than the one that they continue to trot out game after game after game. Um, and I, I can't imagine at, after two years of this, it, it, I would be shocked if Quinn Snyder pulled Rubio from the starting lineup. Um, but maybe if they just made him like a ceremonial starter, like they've Derek favors, um, for the last year and a half now, maybe that would help. Uh, but there's, there's certainly, I think there's certainly reason for concern heading into the playoffs with a team that just has struggled with good teams all season long. We did it. It took we, way too long, but we did it. <laughs> and, and, uh, I think, is this the first time all season that we got the whole league in just two episodes? Yeah, but uh, this going almost for an hour and a half on this one was not. What we were supposed to do. We did good that Eastern that last Eastern Conference summer. We did them in under a buck fifteen. I was proud of us. Very tight, yeah. Uh, if you want to talk to us about any of these grades, you can find Dan on Twitter at Dan Favale, F A V A L E. I'm at Andrew D Bailey. The show is at Hardwood Knox. The sponsor is at NBA underscore Math. As always, we encourage you to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. And if you've done that already, make sure you tell your friends and family about it. Um, so then you can all commiserate together about uh the episodes that you've listened to that day uh until next time we leave you with the shout out to benno udry who recently showed up on twitter breaking kobe bryant's ankles kyle anderson sugar ray leonard roberto duran marvelous marvin Hagler, and thomas hearns legends whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.